Hello and welcome to the latest Moneymakers podcast with me, Jonathan Davis. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Nick Greenwood, who has been managing the Might and Global Opportunities Investment Trust for many years and is one of the leading uh, investors in the investment trust space. I'd like to talk to you, Nick, if I may start off by uh, asking you about what's been happening in the investment trust sector over, say, the last 20 years that you've been active in it. Uh, what are the biggest changes that have taken place and, and how do they impact on, on what investors like yourselves are able to do? Well, I think the, the, the big change is the, it's the change of the natural user of investment trusts. You know, I think a lot of that change has happened in the last five years and it's been driven by the consolidation of the uh, wealth management industry. You know, the natural buyers traditionally of investment trusts have been the private client stockbrokers um, and open-ended tended to be the preserve of the of the IFAs. There's been a massive consolidation of, of, of those business models into some major chains. Um, and just to use uh, an example, Investec is made up of probably 10 or 11 of the uh, old private client brokers. It's been merged into one vast pot. I think off the top of my head, they're probably running about 30 billion now. This change has a massive effect on the investment trust market because increasingly these companies need to move vast pots of money around and from from a regulatory point of view they need to move all the clients at the same time. Now it's very difficult to buy many millions of pounds worth of investment trusts at, at one go because typically they're traded well they are traded on the, on the stock market and um, you know the, the stock market matches buyers and sellers in the same way as they do for it for for industrial companies so the vast sums that need to be put to work these days make it very difficult for the private client brokers now part of the wealth management industry to to use investment trusts so what we have and what's increasingly happened in medium and smaller trusts um, in recent years is that the natural buyer has disappeared they're listed therefore if you're listed there always are sellers and um, share prices have fallen until people have stepped in to buy these shares. So what you're saying is that the the, the lack of liquidity essentially is uh, forcing some some smaller investment trusts to trade at bigger discounts than they might once have done. Yeah, I mean it's not so much of a lack of liquidity. The, these things are reasonably liquid, and you you can normally trade 100 or 200 grand's worth at a go. Um, it's just that the, the the required liquidity is just so vast that um, it's difficult for wealth management firms to 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 use trusts and therefore what's happened is that you know discounts have widened on the medium and small trusts and within might and global at, at christmas i you know the average discount um was 32 percent. so in other words at that point you were able to buy assets at perfectly good assets at 68 or 70 pence in the pound so it, it's this transition um, has caused quite a little bit of dislocation in the in, in the trust market, and what's happened in certainly in the last year or two is the 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 natural bars have been sort of high net worth individuals out on the net, and they probably will be the natural bars of investment trusts going forward. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind that investment trusts are superior investment vehicles. Um, it's just they're not user friendly, and you, you know, having to buy and sell them in the market, a wealth manager can't press a button and get 25 million pounds worth of capacity at the drop of a hat like he can in a in a, in, a, in a very big OIC or, or unit trust. So it's the change, it's not so much a drying up of liquidity in the trust market, it's the changes of the buyers who've just become so large. So these are people who are so-called self-directed investors or, or people who have money with mm. advisors but want to do a bit of their own homework as well, who are sitting yeah. on platforms like uh, Alliance Trust, Harbury's Lansdowne, all those sort of people. Uh, and they're finding their way to investment trust because if, if they're sufficiently sophisticated to understand them, then they, uh, they, they like what they see. 
Yes, and a, and a, and a wealthy individual um, can buy these things um, very easily. You know, if they want to buy 25 grand's worth of stock, that's very easy to do. But um, if you are a client of a Bruins or an Investec, um, your advisor won't be able to buy them for you simply because the amount of money they have to put to work is just so large. So I think it's an absolute natural for um, for you know the, the more sophisticated investors dealing on platforms, and it's quite interesting. If you look at the register of, of Might and Global um, outfits like Alliance Trust Savings, Transact, AJ Bell, Hargreaves, Lansdowne are now all within our our, um, our top ten shareholders. Whereas a couple of years ago they would have been very low down the list with very modest holdings. And talking to other managers of investment trusts, this seems to be um, quite a common theme um, that. You know, self-directed investors via platforms are becoming the dominant shareholders in, in many investment trusts. And are there enough of them, though, to uh, to mean that this uh, transition period uh, will ever transition into something else, or are we going to be stuck with this kind of world for uh, some time? Uh, I think we will, we will go through um, quite a bit of change in the sector. Many trusts will reinvent themselves for that market or reinvent their, their marketing. Uh, the other thing, though, is that the market is increasingly becoming a home for illiquids. Um, things like you know, forestry or, or second-hand endowment policies or, or property. And you know, we saw um, what happens if you have an open-ended structure investing in illiquid assets um, when a lot of the property funds had to gate when everyone wanted to sell at the same time. And of course, you know, you, if you've got um, daily liquidity in a property fund, well, if you, if, you, if you have a lot of people wanting to redeem, you just can't sell an office block at the drop of a hat and, and, uh, and meet the redemption. So you know, post-Brexit, when everyone wanted to uh, to sell their, their, their property holdings, it just was not possible. So I think that, that gives a trend that people are accepting of the of the problems of buying closed-ended funds when the asset class is, is a liquid. And I think we'll see a lot more issuance um, of, you know, at the moment, it's alternative income funds. But um, I think the sector will become much more a home for alternatives uh, and less for plain vanilla equity funds as it has been in the past. Right. So that is um, the closed-end structure, meaning you have, a, in theory, a fixed pool of capital means that it's uh, it's easier and indeed uh, uh, more advisable to uh, to invest in your liquid assets uh, that way. That's the that's one of the benefits. Well, get. I think the the, the 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 key strength of the of the closed-ended structure is that the the fund managers protected from inflows and outflows. What causes a lot of damage to open-ended performances? If you're getting outflows, you have to sell what you can. Very often, you end up having to sell. As I say, what you can is, and that's what people want to buy from you. And by definition, that's probably not what you want to be selling. Um, and that's, that can be quite damaging to, to performance. So you know if you manage an investment trust and you buy a share in a company, that you can sit on that position until it's actually the right time to sell. Um, and therefore, you can build more conviction um, in your portfolio by having you know, stronger ideas or bigger positions because you haven't got to worry so much about the construction of the portfolio and being able to meet short-term requests um, you know, because I know most open-ended funds offer daily liquidity. So you, know, you have this, this fatal mismatch between what um, the liquidity available to the customer and what's available to the fund manager running the, um, the actual portfolio. So what we've seen also, therefore, is we've seen a, a change in the kind of composition of the investment trust sector. Uh, certainly mm. in recent years, we've had some more yeah. of these alternative uh, mm. types of, uh, of investment. Sometimes they're a bit fatty, sometimes they're not. But this, it presumably, is also mm -hmm. what creates the opportunity for someone like yourself. I mean, as a fund of investment trust, you're not buying the big names in the sector. You're no. not buying a Scottish no. mortgage or you're not buying, a, you know, a JP Morgan, this or that. You're, what you're looking for are 
special situations and um, uh, and other sort of investment yeah. games you can play um, via this via this sector. Yes, I mean you know it is very, Might and Global is very much a, a special situations fund. Um, but increasingly, an opportunity there is that um, the methodology to work out an alternative asset class, you know, say forestry or something like that, may create a mismatch between um, the methodology that creates the net asset value and what you could actually sell the assets for in the in the in the open market. The most extreme one we have in um, our um, portfolio at the moment is residential property in Berlin, where there is an enormous difference has developed between the value of a apartment available for rent. And, and an apartment that has been privatised, actually sold and into the private market, similar to what we would understand as, as leasehold. And sort of in, in round figures, um, uh, a property available for rent would be worth around 2,400 euros a square metre, where, where the same property, if it was privately owned, um, three of all the um, restrictions that apply to the rental market, would be about 4,000. And you, you can't just... You know, change from rental to to private in in, in Germany. You've got to go through a, a rigorous planning process. So, you know, it, it is very different from our market. But the the NAVs of these um, investment trusts focusing on on Berlin residential are are the, the published NAVs are using the rental figure, not the private figure, which is what you could actually sell the assets for. And that's quite an extreme difference. And I think increasingly there will be opportunities to to exploit you know a uh, methodology that's you know set up on on day one. Um, but when you know when a market evolves or, or changes, sometimes these methodologies can be um, out of sync with, with with the reality. So that's an opportunity. I mean, we're we're, we're you know independently very bullish about the the market in in Berlin. Um, but, but you've got the extra wrinkle because the the NAVs you know un- massively understate um, what you can sell the assets for. And of course, as the market in investment trusts is used to them being equity funds, and an equity f- fund is very easy to produce a an NAV, just run your Bloomberg, and that's the figure. Um, you know, these newer funds, the NAVs are much more subjective. Yet, because of the history of the trust sector, as as, as tend to be equity funds, um, the market actually tends to value things fairly close to the stated NAV, and they regard those as verbatim and, and don't actually adjust for um, differences that have evolved. So this is there is a sense of a certain inefficiency there, which you can exploit. If you yeah, I mean, you know, we we are. You know, exploiting inefficiencies in in the closed-ended world. Um, you know, a, a different type of um, inefficiency is just the the, the transition where a, a trust has con- has become very very cheap because its its natural buyer has gone. Can you give us an example, a couple of examples of that? Well, probably probably a good example of that is Artemis Alpha, which is a you know a solid UK small cap trust, but has been trading at a 27 discount at, at, at times in the recent past. And that's partly down to it having a, a difficult time, but partly that the branch offices of the of the retail chains that used to be the owners um, won't buy this sort of trust. It's got a market cap in the region of 100 million, and that's just too small to fit into portfolios. So you have more sellers and buyers, um, and you know the, the share price of investment trust is purely decided by the the balance of supply and demand. Right, but therefore you must have as an investor in it, you must see some way by which that uh, situation yeah. can reverse, the catalyst. In, 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 in all cases, there, there has to be a catalyst for change because you could easily buy an investment trust where the discount is, is wide, but there's, there's no reason why that should that should ever change. In the case of um, Artemis Alpha, it has a continuation vote next year, and I suspect that the managers are working towards that. If, if they've turned the portfolio around and, and they, they win the continuation vote, that's all well and good. 
if performance is poor, I, I suspect that Artemis will find a, a solution, maybe bringing in a young and you know, really an internal solution. Um, but they may bring in uh, uh, a more thrusting younger management team and there may be an opportunity to, to exit at NAV when, if they reconstruct the fund. So the, the September 2018 continuation vote in that case is the catalyst that will bring about change one way or the other. Right, so you can see that coming in, uh, in advance. Indeed, yeah, that's right. So there's something to put your hat on. And also, you know, in, investors tend to have a, an investment horizon of about 18 months. And so... As that um, that date is now under 18 months, people are starting to look at it and, and actually factor it into their decisions, and um, it is having a, a bit of effect on narrowing the discount. Okay, so that's that one. And then uh, give us uh, a couple of other things I know you're keen on. One is uh, India, and the other is uh, things that developments in the private equity market, uh, yeah. where there's a number of uh, listed investment trusts that, that yeah. invest in private equity. Yeah. Tell me about India, India is, first of all. Yeah. yeah, India is a top-down theme. I mean, it's. Uh, a market with enormous changes going on. I think it's, you know, it is noticeable that the, 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 the new prime, well, if I say new, he's, Modi's been there for a couple of years. He's just trying to make the existing system work better. Now, he, you know, a lot of the reforms have, have put the man in the street into uh, into, into major difficulty. For example, in, in November, um, people in India woke up to find that 86% of banknotes were no longer legal tender and that you couldn't get replacement banknotes from your bank because obviously they didn't want anyone to know about this development in advance. So, you know, um, it took them two or three months to print banknotes um, to replace the ones that were no longer legal tender. Now, in a cash economy, vast tracts of the population having no access to, 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 to legal tender for, for some months is, uh, is a major problem. Um, there will be further up, upheaval when the new goods and services tax comes in. But despite that, the election in Utah Pradesh a month or two ago in a, in a state that's ethnically unfriendly to, to Modi. Um, he performed very well. You know, for, a, for, a, for an incumbent um, two years in, you would expect a, a political swing the other way. So clearly the man in the street in India is buying into these reforms to make the economy more efficient, to get rid of the, you know, the bureaucracy and the, and, and the corruption that's, that's, that's endemic. And to give you um, an example, um, you know, the goods and services tax will mean that um, when you take goods by lorry from you know, one major city to another, typically three days at the moment. One day of that is getting across, you know, border crossings and paying your taxes. Now that's all done at a, at a statewide level. And you don't need to have a distribution um, depot in all 20-odd states. It gets rid of a, a lot of those inefficiencies. You'll be able to, you know, the lorry journey now with not having to stop on, on, and go through all the paperwork on, on, on state borders. That journey goes from three days to two days. So lots of, you know, different ways that the economy is becoming more efficient getting rid of the, you know, the informal economy and becoming a much more, more structured economy, you know, this is an area where we could see a lot of growth going forward. So, so why, but that is... So, why, okay, there's, there's the three, uh, as, as most I think people know, there's three sort of reasonably sized uh, investment trusts that invest uh, solely or specifically in India. Uh, and you've chosen mm. one, India Capital Earth, which is, has got the worst performance record, hasn't it, I think? So, why, what's your thinking there? This is to do with the discount, is it? Or, or what is the story there? Um, partly because there, there was, there was a te technical reason. I think um, the long-term record of India capital growth is, is is poor, but obviously the recent track record has been very good. What tends to happen in investment trusts is that um, they trade on the track record of the vehicle, not on the track record of the team that's running it now. And a little bit of history on this particular trust, it was launched somewhere around 10 years ago. 
the first management team lost in round figures half the money and they were replaced. The second management team repeated the exercise and then the current team came in in, in around 2011 but found the first, the main challenge was that the portfolio at that point was full of microcaps managed by mates of the second team. So, you know, the, the, the thing is perceived as a bit of a dog where the reality things have, have, have moved on. The other reason it's a mid-cap specialist uh, and, you know, you can, injury, unlike a, a number of emerging markets, is a market where you can actually stock pick. You know, it's, it's inherited the, the UK system, so there are thousands of um, listed companies in all sorts of industries, and, you know, you, you, you've got a hell of a lot of stocks to choose from. Traditionally, a lot of emerging markets tend to just be the, you know, not have the same depth, so be, you know, maybe utilities, banks, uh, fixed-line telecommunications, and, and not a lot else. Um, and therefore, you know, India is a market where you, know, you can add value through stock picking, and you, you've seen that in the in the performance of India capital growth relative to the other two in um, during this bull market. And therefore, the, the, the story here is you, you would expect the discount to narrow there as well, and that's not the primary reason why you're investing in it. It's both. It's both. I mean, I expect the fund to outperform the other two funds, which are focused on very large caps, um, and, and that to a certain extent, the very large caps will move in line with global markets, um, which we're less optimistic about. So, you know, on one level, it will, it will outperform. Um, the second level, the discount is wide. Um, that will narrow as people get to understand the fund better, slowly but surely, but also there's a technical reason. They had a very big um, warrant issue. Um, those warrants were exercised around a year ago, uh, and that's led to quite a big overhang in, in stock. So until that overhang is, is, is worked through, which might take another year, then you'd expect it to trade around a 20% discount, where the other two tend to trade on more like a 10% discount. But the discount will narrow, and that will... So if you get a rising NAV and a narrowing discount, that's an incredibly powerful combination. That's that's the double whammy which you're looking for, is it? The double whammy. That's the holy grail. Yeah. What about the private equity funds that you've invested in? What's the story there? Tell me, tell me uh, how you how you're thinking. Goes. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 more a basket of, of of stocks, you know, exploiting a theme. I mean, basically, the private equity industry has been very successful in um, raising capital in recent years. And unlike you know, if you're buying a an open-ended equity fund, when you invest um, in private equity, you know, if you're a pension fund in the States, for example, which is a typical user of the industry, you make a commitment to the manager not actually buying into the fund on the day, and then that manager will go away over the next two or three years to find unlisted companies and private companies to buy, and when he buys those, he calls the money off you. Now, the money that's been committed um, and waiting to be spent is, is what's called in the industry dry powder. And at one point in, in recent years, I think Barron's came up with a figure of uh, $1.3 which is very easy to say, but there's a hell of a lot of noughts there. So that money will get spent, um, and therefore um, that will drive up the prices of, 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 of businesses that are available for, for sale. Now, a number of these long-established investment trusts in the UK have very mature portfolios. You know, some of them, you know, Pantheon, for example, have got a portfolio typically seven years old. These businesses will have been turned around and now available to sell. They will be valued on the basis for, of um, maybe taking 80% of a, a basket of equivalent stocks that were already listed on the market. Whereas, of course, when these businesses are sold, they'll be sold at a, at a very big premium. Um, to that level because there's so much money um, chasing a home. So the stated NAVs of these private equity investment trusts you know, significantly understate what those assets will be sold for. 
so we're going to have a you know a sector with some of the widest discounts, but we'll have the, the strongest rise in NAV. It's probably a theme that's only got six months to a year to go because the problem is that of course once you've raised that money, once you've sold your your business and you've taken a lot you know a lot of money. If you're an evergreen fund, one that goes on forever, you are going to have to reinvest those proceeds in a in a in a in a market that really is a seller's market, not a buyer's market. So the portfolio is focused more on private equity funds that are in have already themselves moved into wind down. So that would be names like Dunedin Enterprise and uh, and Better Capital, who won't be reinvesting the money. So they'll benefit from the fact that it's a seller's market. And as those those assets are sold, they'll hand the shareholders back the money. So again, it's a question of uh, a bit of patience, but you're, we're, we're approaching. Oh the yes, no. I mean, I do describe the the, the my investment uh, style as watching paint dry. You're you're exploiting um, value that's already there, um, and therefore you're not having to second guess what's going to happen to Glaxo. You'll identify something you know, like the um, private equity trust. Um, the value is already there, it's, so you're making a call on whether there's a catalyst or how that valuation gap is, is going to be extracted. And I suppose the implicit assumption there is that we're not going to have another recession or another crisis of some sort before that happens because... Well, I'm sure, I, I'm sure we will at some point. Um, the problem is that um, you know we had the so-called Trump trade, hope for reflation. Trump can't um, deliver on any of his policies, so to coin the phrase, it's deja vu all over again. We're, we're going back into an environment with very low interest rates, where asset prices will be will be squeezed higher. I was thinking more of the fact that yeah. the private equity funds obviously Sorry. they got very badly hit during the during the financial crisis because their discounts went massively over fifty percent in most cases um, yes, because of the economic that's cycle. So that's that's yeah. the sort of risk. Of the uh, that was, yeah, that was more caused by overcommitments. Yeah, they've been going up for a while, and therefore, one of the problems on, on private equity funds is cash drag, um, and therefore, you know, you you have to be, the private equity fund. You've got if you have too much cash, performance isn't good because you've got money that's sat waiting to to be called. The way they got around that was to overcommit. So they make commitments to a greater extent than what they than the money they actually have. Now that 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 in the bull market around 2006, a number of trusts took that to extremes, and of course um, found themselves, you know, potentially insolvent. In I mean, they never would have been because the banks weren't actually backing any any private equity deals, and therefore the commitments could never be called. But there was a there was a panic, and that was a fantastic opportunity to get in. But you know, the world is a much calmer place now, and even even if we had a recession again, it wouldn't create the problems for the private equity funds that they did in the last um, major bear market, because the, the the level of commitment is nothing like what it was in, in, in 2007. So just to sort of wrap up here, um, it'd be very interesting to hear your approach and how you're carving out a niche because uh, you're operating in, 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 in trusts which are either sort of off the radar or below the radar of <coughs> the mainstream investors and looking for special <coughs> situations and so on. You've had a very good year, it's happened. I think you're up almost 50% or something in the last 12 months. And your own discount yeah. and your own discount has narrowed. Um, is this as good as it gets? I mean, what's your feeling about the, uh, about the world out there as far as uh, investors is concerned? Well, I think that what will happen on, on, on two levels going forward is that um, we've started to see, I mean, the look-through discount on the trust a year ago would have been about 27 28%. It's now sort of 21 22%. So there has been some discount narrowing. Most of the returns have just been, really come from the themes 
working very nicely and the underlying NAV is working quite well. I think we certainly will see further discount narrowing because I think that the, the, the private investors have found this sector, they're buying into the fact that you know there are there are deep discounts available and therefore I think you know, the, the amount of buying from the self-directed investor has increased dramatically over the last year and I think that's just the beginning of a, of a major trend which will, which will help discounts narrow further. And whilst there are all sorts of very long-term issues for for the markets as all you know that QE etc cannot carry on forever but I think the phase we've gone into given you know the um, uh, limbo that, that the US policy has gone into then um, you know again if if we have very low interest rates you know bond yields are certainly in the UK and the US are hitting year lows at the moment and um, the lack of alternatives just drive existing asset prices higher so we need to um, carry on, uh, well, not exactly making hay, but we need to uh, carry on taking advantage of this environment while, while it persists. Yes, indeed, yes. I, I liken it to foot firmly on the accelerator with a finger hovering over the ejector seat button. <laughs> very good. Well, thank you, Nick, very much for that. It's been very, uh, very interesting and very uh, helpful, I'm sure, to uh, all Brilliant. our listeners. Many thanks. You have been listening to a Moneymakers podcast hosted by the author and professional investor, Jonathan Davis. An archive of all our podcasts can be found on the website www.money-makers.co and also on iTunes and several other popular podcasting channels. We are an editorially independent business with a primarily educational purpose. If you are interested in investment and have enjoyed this conversation, I do hope you'll join me again for more discussion of current topics with leading professional investors. Thank you for listening.